Chapter Twenty Two of the Precipice. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Precipice by Elia Wilkinson Peedy. Chapter Twenty Two. Kate had him buried beside the wife for whom he had so inconsistently longed. She sold the old house, selected a few keepsakes from it, disposed of all else, and came late in November back to the city. Marna's baby had been born, a little bright boy named for his father. Mrs. Barcelot, relenting, had sent a layette of French workmanship, and Marna was radiantly happy. "'If only Tonto will come over for Christmas,' Marna lilted to Kate. "'I shall be almost too happy to live. How good she was to me, and how ungrateful I seem to her. Write her to come, Kate, Mavornin. Tell her the baby won't seem quite complete till she's kissed it. So Kate wrote to Mrs. Barcelow, adding her solicitation to Marna's. Human love and sympathy were coming to seem to her of more value than anything else in the world. To be loved, to be companioned, to have the vast loneliness of life mitigated by fealty and laughter and tenderness, what was there to take the place of it? Her heart swelled with a desire to lessen the pain of the world. All her egotism, her self-assertion, her formless ambitions had got up or down to that, to comfort the comfortless, to keep evil away from little children, to let those who were in any sort of a prison go free. Yet she knew very well that all of this would lack its perfect meaning unless there was someone to say to her, to her and to none other, I understand. Mrs. Barcelo did not come to America at Christmas time. Carl Wander did not, as he had thought he might, visit Chicago. The holiday season seemed to bring little to Kate except oppressive duties. She aspired to go to bed Christmas night with the conviction that not a child in her large territory had spent a neglected Christmas. This meant a skilled cooperation with other societies, with the benevolently inclined newspapers and with generous patrons. The correspondence involved was necessarily large, and the amount of detail to be attended to more than she should have undertaken unaided. But she was spurred on by an almost consuming passion of pity and sisterliness. The sensible detachment which had marked her work at the outset had gradually, and perhaps regrettably, disappeared. So far from having outgrown emotional struggle, she seemed now, because of something that was taking place in her inner life, to be increasingly susceptible to it. Her father's death had taken from her the last vestige of a home. She had now no place which she could call her own, or to which she could instinctively turn at Christmas time. To be sure, there were many who bade her to their firesides, and some of these invitations she accepted with gratitude and joy, but she could, of course, only pause at the hearthstones of others. Her thoughts winged on to other things, to the little poor homes where her wistful children dwelt, to the great scheme for their care and oversight, which daily came nearer to realization. A number of benevolent women, rich in purse and in a passion for public service, desired her to lecture. She was to explain the meaning of the Bureau of Children at the State Federations of Women's Clubs, 
in lyceum courses and wherever receptive audiences could be found they advised among other things her attendance at the biennial meeting of the general federation of women's clubs which was meeting that coming spring in southern california the time had been not so far distant when she would have had difficulty in seeing herself in the role of a public lecturer but now that she had something imperative to say she did not see herself in any role at all she ceased to think about herself save as the carrier of a message her christmas letter from wander was at once a disappointment and a shock i've made a mess of things he wrote and do not intend to intrude on you until i have shown myself more worthy of consideration i try to tell myself that my present fiasco is not my fault but i've more than a suspicion that i'm playing the coward's part when i think that you can be disappointed in me if you like i'm outrageously disappointed i thought i was made of better stuff i don't know when i'll have time for writing again for i shall be very busy i suppose i'll think about you more than is good for me but maybe not maybe the thoughts of you will be crowded out i'm rather curious to see it will be better for me if they would for i've come to a bad turn in the road and when i get around it maybe all the old familiar scenes the window out of which your face looked for example will be lost to me i send my good wishes to you all the same i shall do that as long as i have a brain and a heart faithfully wander that means trouble reflected kate and had a wild desire to rush to his aid that she did not was owing partly only partly to another letter which bearing an english postmark indicated that ray mccrae who had been abroad for a month on business was turning his face toward home what he had to say was this dear kate i'm sending you a warning in a few days i'll be tossing on that black sea of which i have in the last few days caught some discouraging glimpses it doesn't look as if it meant to let me see the statue of liberty again but as surely as i do i'm going to go into council with you i imagine you know mighty well what i'm going to say for years you've kept me at your call or rather for years i have kept myself there you've discouraged me often in a tolerant fashion as if you thought me too young to be dangerous or yourself too high to be called to account i've been patient chiefly because i found your society as a mere recipient of my awkward attentions too satisfactory to be able to run the risk of forgoing it but if i were to sit in the outer court any longer i would be pusillanimous i'm coming home to force you to make up that strange mind of yours which seems to be forever occupying itself with the things far off and to be hoped for rather than with that which is near at hand you'll have time to think it over you can't say i've been precipitate yours always ray at that she flashed a letter to colorado what is your cousin's trouble she asked honora is it at the mines it's at the mines honora replied carl's life has been and is in danger friends have warned me of that again and again 
there's no holding these people these several hundred italians that poor carl insisted upon regarding as his wards his adopted children they're preparing to leave their half-paid-for homes and their steady work and to go threshing off across the country in the wave of a hard-drinking hysterical labor leader he has them inflamed to the explosive point when they've done their worst carl may be a poor man not that he worries about that but he's likely to carry down with him friends and business associates of course this is not final he may win out but such a catastrophe threatens him but understand all this is not what is tormenting him and turning him gaunt and haggard no as usual the last twist of the knife is given by a woman in this case it is an italian girl elena cimati the daughter of one of the strikers and of the woman who does our washing for us she's a beautiful wild creature something as you might suppose the daughter of jorio to be she has come for the washing and has brought it home again for months past and carl who is thoughtful of everybody has assisted her with her burden when she was lifting it from the burrow's back or packing it on the little beast sometimes he would fetch her a glass of water or give her a cup of tea or put some fruit in her saddlebags you know what a way he has with all women i suppose it would turn any foolish creature's head and he has such an impressive way of saying things what would be a casual speech on the tongue of another becomes significant when he has given one of his original twists to it i think too that in utter disregard of italian etiquette he has sometimes walked on the street with this girl for a few steps he is like a child in some ways as trusting and unconventional and he wants to be friends with everybody i can't tell whether it is because he is such an aristocrat that it doesn't occur to him that any one can suspect him of losing caste or because he is such a democrat that he doesn't know it exists however that may be the girl is in love with him these italian girls are modest and well-behaved ordinarily but when once their imagination is aroused they are like flaming meteors they have no shame because they can't see why any one should be ashamed of love and to tell the truth i can't either but this girl believes carl has encouraged her i suppose she honestly believed that he was sweethearting he is astounded and dismayed at first both he and i thought she would get over it but she has twice been barely prevented from killing herself of course her countrymen think her desperately ill-treated she is the handsomest girl in the settlement and she has a number of ardent admirers to the hatred which they have come to bear carl as members of a strike directed against him they now add the element of personal jealousy so you see what kind of a christmas we are having i have had mrs hayes take the babies to colorado springs and if anything happens to us here i'll trust to you to see to them you who mean to look after little children look after mine above all others for their mother gave you long since her loving friendship i would rather have you mother my babies maiden though you are than any woman i know for i feel a great force in you kate and believe you are going on until you get an answer to some of the questions which the rest of us have found unanswerable carl wants me to leave for there is danger that the ranch house may be blown up almost any time 
these men play with dynamite as if it were wood anyway and they make fiery enemies every act of ours is spied upon our servants have left us and carl and i obstinate as mules and as proud as shakes after the fashion of our family hold the fort he wants me to go but i tell him i am more interested in life than i ever dared hope i would be again i have been bayoneted into a fighting mood and i find it magnificent to really feel alive again after crawling in the dust so long with a taste of it in my mouth so don't pity me as for carl he looks wild and strange like the flying dutchman with his spectral hand on the helm but i don't know that i want you to pity him either he is a curious man with a passionate heart and if he flares out like a torch in the wind it will be fitting enough no don't pity us congratulate us rather now what said kate aloud may that mean congratulate us the letter had a note of reckless gaiety had honora and carl though cousins been finding a shining compensation there in the midst of many troubles it sounded so indeed elena Chimati might swing down the mountain roads wearing mountain flowers in her hair if she pleased and kate would not have thought her dangerous to the peace of carl wander if the wind were wild and the leaves driving he might have kissed her in some mad mood so much might be granted and none not even elena be the worse for it but to live side by side with honora fulham to face danger with her to have the exhilaration of conflict they two together the mountains above them the treacherous foe below a fortune lost or gained in a day all the elements of colorado's gambling chances of life and fortune at hand might mean anything well she would congratulate them if honora could forget a shattered heart so soon if wander could take it on such easy terms they were entitled to congratulations of a sort and if they were killed some frantic night were blown to pieces with their ruined home and so reached together whatever lies beyond this life why then they were to be congratulated indeed or if they evaded their enemies and swung their endangered craft into the smooth stream of life still congratulations were to be theirs she confessed to herself that she would rather be in that lonely beleaguered house facing death with carl wander than to be the recipient of the greatest honor or the participant in the utmost gaiety that life could offer that the fact was fantastic made it none the less a fact should she write to honora i congratulate you or should she wire carl she got out his letter and his words were as fresh wind blowing over her spirit she realized afresh how this man seen but once known only through the medium of infrequent letters had invigorated her what had he not taught her of compassion of the glory of the commonplace of duty eagerly fulfilled of the abounding joy of life even in life shadowed by care or sickness or poverty no she would write them nothing they were her friends in fullness of sympathy they like herself were of those to whom day and night is a privilege to whom sorrow is an enrichment delight an unfoldment opposition a spur 
They were of the company of those who dared to speak the truth, who breathed deep, who partook of the banquet of life without fear. She had seen Honora in the worst hour of tribulation that can come to a good woman, and she knew she had risen from her overthrow stronger for the trial. Now Carl was battling, and he had cried out to her in his pain, his shame of defeat. But it would not be his extinction. She was sure of that. They might, among them, slay his body, but she could not read his letters so full of valiant contrasts, and doubt that his spirit must withstand all adversaries. No, sardonic with these two she could never be. Like that poor Elena, she might have mistaken Wander's meanings. He was a man of two elaborate gestures, something grandiose, inherently his, made him enact the drama of life with too much fervor. It was easy, Honora had insinuated, for a woman to mistake him. Kate gripped her two strong hands together and clasped them around her head in the first attitude of despair in which she ever had indulged in her life. She was ashamed. Honora had said there was nothing to be ashamed of in love. But Kate would not call this meeting of her spirit with Carl's by that name. She had no idea whether it was love or not. On the whole, she preferred to think that it was not. But when they faced each other, their glances had met. When they had parted, their thoughts had bridged the space. When she dreamed, she fancied that she was mounting great solitary peaks with him, to look at sunsets that blazed like the end of the world, or that he and she were strong-winged birds seeking the crags of the Andes. What girl's folly! The time had come to put such vagrant dreams from her and to become a woman indeed ray telephoned that he was home come up this evening then commanded kate then not being as courageous as her word she wept brokenly for her mother the mother who could at best have given her but such indeterminate advice end of chapter twenty two